When does obeying God mean breaking the law? That's the topic of today's discussion on Grounded Podcast. Well, good day, high school students, and thank you for tuning in to another Grounded Podcast. Today's topic is a controversial topic, to say the least. I think with good intentions, Christians are all over the place. And I'll say this, I'm by no means any kind of expert when it comes to this topic. But I do believe that there is a biblical precedence to prove and show that there is definitely a time for the children of God to disobey the law. And we'll see when and how. If you would just open up your Bibles, if you've got one near you, open up to Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 4. Before we do, I just want to quote Thomas Jefferson. He said, Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. And I can't think of a story in the Bible that that is more true than here in Daniel chapter 3. And we'll start reading here in verse 4. And just so you know, the children of Israel have been taken captive into Babylon from their homeland in Israel. And they've had their identities as Jews stripped from them. And as we read these names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these are not Hebrew names. These are Babylonian names. And they all have to do with the false gods of Egypt. Egypt, actually, Babylon, forgive me. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, Shadrach, that means your name is and has to do with a false god of the Babylonian Empire. And you're right. It's interesting. We don't see a place in here where they stand up against them being renamed and having their identity stripped from them. But an interesting thing here happens here in verse 4. Now, a law was given. It says, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So, this law was made. You're going to worship this image. Now, the command is given. The music is played. They strike up the band. Everybody's bowing in worship. And they notice there's these three Hebrew children just standing there. They're not bowing down like everyone else. They're just standing there. And who are they? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're standing, and they're refusing to bow. Now, why were the rest of them bowing? There should have been a lot more standing besides these three. We don't know. Maybe they feared being thrown into the furnace. But these three realized and figured it's better to obey God and break the laws of the land and be thrown into the furnace as a consequence than to bow down and break God's law. Now, you say, wait, break God's law? Yeah, absolutely. If you would turn over to Exodus chapter 20, I'm turning there in my Bible, Exodus chapter 20. Here we are, chapter 16, chapter 22, (laughs) because you flipped over, right? Okay, here, Exodus chapter 20. Listen to this. God says in verse 1, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, number one. Number two, 
you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. Let's ask a question real quick. Was the image of Nebuchadnezzar in the earth beneath? The answer is yes. And then he goes on of anything that is under the earth or in the water. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So they were pitted against God. And who are they going to obey? Are they going to obey Nebuchadnezzar? Are they going to obey Nebi? Or are they going to obey God of heaven and earth? And I think they made the right choice. They decided we're going to obey the God of heaven rather than Nebuchadnezzar. And so for that, they're pointed out to Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse 12, back in Daniel chapter 3, it says, These men have not paid due respect to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image that you have set up. So the king calls for them and brings them forth. And he gives them an opportunity to worship this image. Now listen to what they say. They say in verse 16, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, because they've been threatened to be thrown in the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image that you have set up. So in essence, they're saying, look, he's either going to deliver us out of the furnace and we're going to be fine, or he's not and we're going to die and we're going to go to heaven, and that's fine too. Remember, Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know, sometimes as Christians, we act like dying is such a bad thing, like dying and go to heaven is a step down from being here on the earth. Have we lost our minds? Okay, so they don't bow. They get chucked into the furnace, and you know the story if you've read it, and if you haven't, I man, I recommend you go read Daniel, especially chapter 3 here, okay? They get thrown into the furnace, and Jesus rescues them. And because the king was so mad in verse 16, or sorry, excuse me, verse 19, that he heats the furnace seven times hotter than normal. And his mighty men of valor that throw him in die. There's such haste. He is so mad. And the Bible says they were thrown in. And I love the attention to detail. They're thrown in with their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments into the fire, and that's important because when they came out, not one of those things was burned. Only the ropes burned. Interesting, huh? Weren't their clothes flammable? It's not like they had flame-retardant clothing on. (laughs) They had just regular clothing on, right? That's the point of this. And when they come out, the ropes are gone, and all their clothing is still there, and they don't even smell like smoke. It's the one thing. I love going to bonfires. I hate smelling like smoke. I'm not the OG Shadrach. If I go to the fire, I'm going to smell like smoke. I'm <laughs> My hairs are going to singe, okay? <laughs> so the reality is they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. They didn't even smell like they had been in a bonfire, okay? Now, turn to Daniel chapter 6 because there's an—to me, this, this story is even more interesting because Daniel here is zeroed out, and there's a law made— directly to catch Daniel. So he's under a new king. He's under Darius. And there's these governors and satraps. 
and they noticed Daniel because he has an excellent spirit, and the king gave thought of setting him over the whole realm. So they're jealous. They're like, no way, Jose, is this going to happen? And so they've got to find fault in Daniel. Well, there's no way to find fault in Daniel unless it's concerning his God, and that's exactly what they said. They said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it concerning the law of his God. So they knew. See, the, the enemy knows. The only way to get Christians disobeying the laws of the land is to do something that violates the law of God, and they'll disobey it. Satan knows it. Okay? So this law is made, and these governors talk King Darius into this. Now, look, they come to King Darius in verse 6, and I love the way they smooth up to him. Oh, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, the advisors, we have all consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree to whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king. He shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree, sign it in the writing, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Like, hurry up, do it, don't think about it. We sign it and then find out what's in it, right? In verse 9, King Darius signed the written decree. He didn't think about it. Maybe he thought, man, this is a great idea. All this attention I'm going to get, all this devotion to me, you know, and so he signs it without thinking about the consequences of it. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, listen to this defiance. He went home, and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since the early days. Meaning he had always done this, and it wasn't going to change. He went up in direct defiance to what they had decreed. You cannot pray for 30 days. It's only 30 days. We just got to wait 30 days. If we just obey the government for 30 days, then all will be well. Y you got to understand something. That kind of talk is a lie. It's not going to just be 30 days. It's not going to just be 50 days. It's not going to just be 180 days. It's going to be as long as we live. And the reason for that is because... When you have people like these governors and these satraps and counselors who consulted together against Daniel, it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna matter how long Daniel played along. What they wanted was the ultimate demise of Daniel. That's the way it is, and you need to understand that. You just gotta know that going into it. So Daniel goes up and he prays. He could have shut the windows. He could have said it's just for thirty days. By the way, I don't have my I don't have to have my windows open to pray. Okay, I can pray with the doors shut. I can go in my closet and pray in secret. But this law was made. And it was attacking his ability to pray. So what did he do? He went and he opened the windows, as was his custom. He didn't back down off his custom. So they find him praying. They go to the king. And I and I and this is my mind. I don't know. Maybe it's not the way it was said. But in verse 12, they're like, to the king. Have you not signed a decree? Uh, almost like they don't even remember it. Oh, it, we vaguely remember. Wasn't there like some decree that was made that any man who petitions any god or man for 30 days except you shall be cast into the den of lions? Isn't I, I don't know. I think there was, right, king? I mean, do you remember that, right? And the king's like, yeah, this thing's true. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. 
So they answered and said, Ah, Daniel, the one of the captives of Judah, he does not show due regard to you, O king, for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petitions three times a day. He's a lawbreaker. He's a lawbreaker. And so the king is super bummed. He tries to find a way out of this, but he can't. And ultimately, Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. But God sent an angel. He shut the lion's mouth for the night. So Daniel got to hang out with some lions in the cage and not get eaten until the next day when Darius comes to find out if Daniel's okay. And listen to what he says. Has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Isn't it cool how Daniel stood his ground? He broke the law. He stood his ground. And now the king recognizes exactly what happened. And Daniel's response in verse 21, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel. He shut the mouths of the lions. I was found innocent before him. And that's the question. Do you want to stand innocent before the world or God? I don't know about you, but I want to stand innocent before God. He says, I've done no wrong. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded they take Daniel up out of the den. So he's taken out of the den, right? No injury was found on him because he believed his God. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who accused Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Their children, their wives, and listen, the lions overpowered them and broke their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. So were those lions hungry? Yeah. Were they man killers? Yeah. But they didn't kill Daniel. But when those men were thrown in, they were dead before they even hit the bottom. Now, if you would turn over to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we're coming in the middle of a story here where Peter and John have healed a man and the city is all upset because many people are coming to Jesus as a result. And in verse 5, it says, It came to pass the next day that the rulers, the elders, the scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many of the family were of the high priest, were gathered together in Jerusalem. And when they set them in the midst, they asked him, By what power or by what name have you done this? So they're questioning them. Now look down at verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and realized they had been with Jesus. Oh, may the world realize that we have been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Like it was clear. There's nothing that they can do. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what do we do? For indeed a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and they commanded them not to speak nor teach in the name of Jesus. And I love this. But then there's the word but, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, more than God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let him go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. Now, check this out. We live in the United States of America. My citizen, let me just preempt what I'm about to say with this. My citizenship is in heaven. I am first and foremost a child of God. But I am living in the nation of the United States and I am a citizen of the United States. Paul talked about his Roman citizenship on more than one occasion. He hadn't been beaten without a just trial, 
and he asked, do you beat a Roman citizen without being tried? And they all freaked out. It was like, oh, my goodness, you are? And then one guy's like, I bought mine. I paid for my citizenship. And Paul's like, yeah, well, I was born a citizen. And so he appeals to his citizenship. And right now I'm going to appeal to our citizenship because we live in the United States of America. Okay, and I don't believe that this is heaven on earth by any means. Okay, but God placed me in my nation and in my boundaries and in this time that I might search for him and grope for him and find him. And I did. And also listen to what the U.S. Constitution says in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Huh. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And just so you know, the U.S. Constitution is a living document, okay? And it supersedes any law of the land, period. Listen to what Abraham Lincoln said in 1863 at the Gettysburg Address. He said, Fourscore and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Who's he referring to? What's this new nation conceived in liberty that he's talking about? Well, he's pointing back to the founding fathers. He's pointing back to the founding of the nation. And this all men that are created equal is a direct uh, quote pointing to God. Now, we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of it as a final resting place for those who died here, that the nation might live. This we may in all propriety do, but in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have hallowed it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, while it can never forget what they did here. It is rather for us, the living, to stand here, we here be dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they here gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve these dead shall not have died in vain, that the nation shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Did you hear that last line? That this government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth? I am, look, history was my least liked favorite or my least liked class when I was in high school. Obviously, English was too. But when I read this, I understand that government isn't who sits in Washington, who sits in Sacramento. It's the people. We, the people, vote 
to send people to office to represent us. And when they turn around and they make laws that violate the laws of our God or what we're commanded to do in Scripture as believers, we have to violate it. It's imperative that we do because we cannot stand before our God and violate his word. We can't. It's impossible. I mean, we can't. We, we literally can, but then we'd be like all those that bowed at the image. I don't want to bow at an image and look and see three guys standing up and think I should have been one of them. I want to stand and be one of them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. So when does God, excuse me, when does obeying God mean breaking the law? When laws violate what the Bible tells us as believers to do. You know, the Bible tells us that, for example, when someone's sick, we're to call for the elders of the church and we're to lay hands on them and anoint them and pray for them. Huh? Does this sound like something that we can do right now? The church is to gather together corporately, publicly for worship. Does that sound like something that we can do right now? I'm thankful that the gospel is going out like it's never gone out before. I think it's sad that it wasn't going out that way before. It took what we're going through right now for it to. But the church can't stay indoors. God never created for the gospel to stay indoors. It's got to be taken out into the world. The, the child of God has got to be able to go out and live out their faith amongst the world. And listen, will that be breaking the law? Will that be obeying the law? I guess we have to come back to whose law are we willing to break? And whose law are we willing to obey? Are we willing to obey God's law and break the law of the land? Or are we willing to break God's law to uphold the law of the land? Time will tell. I pray that we will find ourselves as a church on the right side of history. This is a glorious moment for the church. But what will we do with it? Only time will tell. I pray the Lord will bless you and keep you in all of his ways. And that you would stick to God's word. That you will grow. And that every day we'll find ourselves closer to Jesus until he returns. And may he return today. Lord Jesus, come soon come quickly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.